Thank you for tuning in to this special anniversary episode of Tax Justice Warriors, celebrating our 100th episode. And I wanted to share a special interview with Professor Francine Lippman, that she is quite the accomplished professor at the University of Nevada School of Law, and she was somewhat inspirational in the direction I went for Tax Justice Warriors and giving it the title. So I will go over a good amount of her background in the interview, and I would direct you to enjoy the episode. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, the podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics, focuses on tax controversy work, and looks at related issues in tax news. I'm your host, William Schmidt, the director of the Low-Income Taxpayer Clinic at Kansas Legal Services. So welcome, Francine, to Tax Justice Warriors. And that's actually one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about, that I do see you posting on, on the ABA listserv. And um, I believe the phrase is, is tax passion justice warriors. Do you, do you know when you started using that phrase or and can you expand on what that means to you? Certainly. So the, the phrase that I like to use is passion warriors for tax justice. And the reason I like to frame you and all of our colleagues who are in the front line advocating for taxpayers, I like to use that because while we are warriors fighting against injustice, we are not violent warriors. And so I like to distinguish from a warrior where you think of being kind of violent and aggressive. So the warriors that I work with and you work with are, it comes from passion. It comes from a place that is uh, a full of goodness and compassion and not truly for a greater good and not something that's or damaging. So that's why I like passion warrior because I think it implies and for me it, it resonates with all of the work that tax professionals across this country do day in and day out to really serve taxpayers by providing access to justice. And so I really, I, I like it. And the more I think about it, the more I like it. So I actually really appreciate you um, using that because I think it, it speaks volumes. Well, well, thank you. And I, I appreciate you giving your blessing early on to to kind of promote, promote that that ideal for working hard and, and using that passion to you know, in essence, be a warrior for, for tax justice and, and assist low-income taxpayers. Absolutely, and I think it's, it's a very constructive use of the term warrior. It's someone who builds things up and who empowers others to be their better selves. And truly, when I think about low-income taxpayer advocates across the country, including you, 
about people who are who are passionate and who are empowering and who lift people up in a way that is with kindness and with goodness. And so you might not think of yourself as a warrior, but you are fighting against injustice. And so, but but when we whenever you go to one of the low income taxpayer clinic conferences and you look around the room, there are, there are people out there who are so full of generosity and selflessness and zealously advocate in very creative ways to make things better, to lift people up and provide access to justice that wouldn't otherwise exist. And so it's a warrior, but it's, it's a passion warrior. So I, I really do like it the more I think about it. So <laughs> thanks for letting me reflect on that. Oh, certainly. And, and thank you for your support. So I was going to to turn next to, you are at UNLV, and that is actually the William S. Boyd School of Law. And when I see about you, it is often that you are a William S. Boyd professor of law. Is is that a specific title, or is there more to, more of a story to, to William S. Boyd and the uh, being a professor of law at UNLV? Well, the law school was named after William S. Boyd, and the wonderful news is Mr. Boyd is still uh, with us and still practicing. He is a lawyer, and he is in the gaming industry, which is kind of not too much of a surprise given that uh, UNLV is located in Las Vegas. What I think is very interesting about UNLV and the William S. Boyd School of Law is that we are the only law school in the entire state of Nevada. And while Nevada doesn't have a large population, we have about 3 million uh, residents. It is geographically very large, and so when you step back and you think this very large state only has one law school, and it only has one tax law professor, and that happens to be me, and what's also fascinating is our law school is only, we're just about to pass 21 years old. So that's very young for a law school, and that means Nevada did not have, 22 years ago, Nevada did not have a law school. And so Mr. Boyd, together with a lot of lawyers and other advocates in the community, said, we really need a law school, and we need it to be in southern Nevada, where the bulk of the population is. And so they raised a significant amount of money to put to that goal. And I can say I've been at UNLV now for about eight or nine years. And I can say without hesitation that the amount of money that 
family, our graduates are now judges and in the legislature. And in fact, the last legislative session, the majority leader in the state senate and the majority leader in the state assembly were both void law grads. And so, and in all of the various areas, including gaming, we have grads who really have risen to provide not only community service, but also elevate the, the business profile. And so it's, just, it's really a, a huge success story and kind of makes you think about some of the other states that don't have law schools, like Alaska doesn't have a law school. That really should be the next frontier for a law school. Maybe you should venture out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but my wife and I are pretty tied to Kansas City, but yeah, it, it, it is a good thought. Yeah, I was, I was reflecting that, that there are three law schools within an hour's drive for me, so it's uh, that that's pretty interesting about the dearth of law schools in, in the different states. Yes, and obviously our next-door neighbors, so if you think about geography, I always like to think about California, which is a very, not only very heavily populated state, but also a very long state. And so California owns Nevada, so it's like hugging Nevada, and we're not quite as long as it, it is, but because it kind of curls around us on the bottom. But our northern border and California's northern border are the same. So, uh, so in fact, University of Idaho has a law school, and that law school is closer to Reno, to northern Nevada, much closer than we are. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting stuff. I um, so I I had emailed a little bit with you that this was my first semester teaching as an adjunct professor, and the the pivot halfway through the semester from teaching in person to teaching online was was definitely an adjustment. So, how did the semester go for you, and and what what kind of thoughts do you have on on how the coronavirus has, has affected schools? Well, it has been dramatic and uh, on so many different levels, especially for Nevada, where we're expecting to have the largest, the highest unemployment rate after this starts to settle out of any state, probably including Washington, D.C. So the financial devastation is overwhelming. And of course, that impacts law students to the extent their significant other or their parents suffered an uh, unemployment during the crisis. But as you know, transitioning from face-to-face to online is really a significant change. And I think that online teaching certainly 
actually has a place, but not necessarily when it's forced on you. So these were law students who expected it to be face-to-face versus electing to have online. You know, I do think having taught now online as well as, you know, typically face-to-face, that online does have some positive attributes, but I think that it makes a big difference when students self-select online. So it, it just became very challenging to rework my classes that I'm used to teaching face-to-face to online. So that, that took an enormous amount of work, much more than I expected um, when I first thought about it. But I ended up having to put a lot of my class discussion into PowerPoint because we were really trying to be very sensitive to students who maybe were suffering health issues as well as financial issues as well as access to internet. Um, Many of our students ended up going home wherever that might be and so their physical space could be very limited. Uh, I had one student who was at home and he has five kids, I think five kids under age 10, and so his kids would be running around. So it just, it just puts a very different type of pressure on students. So we really worked, the faculty decided that we would pull back and not force students to be live interacting with us. And so while all of my classes were interactive, I intentionally did not, and I I made sure the students could see me, my face, and my, you know, see my face, see me interacting with them live at the designated time that our class was scheduled for. But all of the classes were recorded so people could access them at any time and they could access the PowerPoint. But we intentionally didn't force students to uh, turn on their video because we were worried that somebody might be in a place or a space that was not something they wanted to share. And while I did really want to hear my students' voices, I called on students, but really pretty much let them volunteer. And so it was hard to try to engage them without being very respectful and not put pressure on them. And while I would say that a small cohort of students were really responsive and I think felt a a sense of community, it was a much smaller group than the, and I had a class of 50 students. And so uh, in hindsight, uh, I learned a lot about online teaching and I think it has a place but I think the students have to really affirmatively opt into that 
and uh, so it, it was very interesting, um, but it also very sad in a certain way because the students we didn't have the for many for some students I maybe had a more intense connection because they would often stay on after the class turned you know shut down and really want to talk one-on-one -on -one with me. I felt a, a smaller cohort really felt that intimacy, uh, but we didn't get this large group. So it was just different and uh, was, I, I, missed, I missed the students. And um, once the class ended, William, I think maybe you can share this. I missed seeing them. I miss interacting with them. And a little bit differently than the end of many semesters. Now, we also went, the faculty voted to go to pass, no pass. So that took an enormous amount of pressure off the students as well. But it just creates a different learning experience. And I do think in law schools, and I think you'll probably agree, uh, having been through it yourself and also now teaching, that sort of pressure and intenseness is part of the learning experience. I do think that online is going to be much more popular in the future, and I think that has pros and cons. One of the things that it really did teach me about tax though, and I think our students, I would spend at least the first 15 minutes of class kind of updating our students on the CARES Act and congressional response to what was going on. And I, I sent an email almost weekly out to all of our, our entire community about what people needed to be doing to get uh, the economic impact payment for themselves or for their uh, family members. So what it really accentuated for me, William, was that tax touches lives. And I think the students really got that from me trying to really make sure they got their economic impact payment and other relief from the CARES Act. I, I would certainly echo quite a bit of what you said there that I, I certainly gave weekly updates to my class on, on what new changes there were with the IRS. Since I was doing tax procedure, I thought it was definitely relevant of this is what is shut down with the IRS right now or, or the tax court or, or whichever the case may be. I found it definitely interesting. I, I had my students give me feedback at the midterm and at the end of the semester on what they liked about the course and, and so on. And one student mentioned that she was having trouble focusing. So some of the assignments that I gave her really helped her to, to stay on task. So I, I thought that was particularly useful. I think that is a great example how online might in the future help us be better, say, 
to face the teacher. And what I'm talking about is, as you might imagine, and probably at your university as well, we're starting to think about the fall. And one of the things that UNLV is trying to do is to make it optional. If a student doesn't feel comfortable coming to campus uh, for whatever reason, maybe they're higher risk or have uh, an ill partner or whatever, there we're trying to allow them to elect to have online teaching. And so thinking about doing both, trying to do a hybrid, many of my colleagues are thinking about flipping the classroom. And a flipped classroom has students with more bite-sized assignments, like what you're talking about, so that the students can feel like they're doing something constructive and moving towards the learning process rather than just having a final exam. So I, I think that that is probably, and the, the empirical evidence is certainly clear that that's a better way to learn. And so I, I'm thinking more traditional law school classes are going to go in that direction. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think it was a, a good experience for everyone to put together a portfolio of, of tax forms as the semester went on. I'm going to turn now to the American Bar Association that there are different webinars and I know presentations you are involved in and have moderated. So I just wanted to touch on that you're involved in some different committees and just wanted to ask what what are some of the things that you've taken out of, of your involvement within the American Bar Association? Well, I appreciate you asking that question because I want to talk about a little section of the American Bar Association that maybe we don't think about traditionally as interested in tax. And so I am a member, a pretty active member and a proud member of the American Bar Association Civil Rights and Social Justice section. And as you might step back from that, you might not think about that section as doing tax matters. But as you know, tax rights are human rights, right? We know a former national taxpayer advocate, Nina Olson, has said that taxpayer rights are human rights. And the good news is the American Bar Association Civil Rights and Social Justice section has a access to financial justice, so economic financial justice. And that committee of the ABA Civil Rights and Social Justice section is economic justice. They do a lot of tax outreach. And so I have had the pleasure of working with uh, Marilyn Harbour, who actually is at the Attorney General's office in Oregon, and many folks from the American Bar uh, Civil Rights and Social Justice. And we do 
um, cursory manner, much broader base, working with lawyers who don't necessarily think about tax work as civil rights. And uh, it's allowed me to bring together some just top economists from across the country and uh, folks who work in some of the truly phenomenal, I like to call them think-do tanks, tax-exempt, to push out this information much more broadly and pervasively. And you're right, I worked with, um, just recently, we did one on COVID-19, and they have a rapid response program. So they're really good, because I guess civil rights and social justice matters can happen, you know, overnight, almost like set on September 11th or other issues, they're able to respond very quickly, and they have a great uh, network of lawyers, and in fact, the last panel that I've been putting together, part of the COVID-19 rapid response economic justice, we have lawyers from across the globe, literally, and we will have seminars with signups of over 500 people. And the great news is they're free, whether you're a member or not. They, of course, appreciate people becoming a member. But they really, they work hard at pushing out information broadly and pervasively. And they have narrow niches. Um, and I've seen just an explosion of people signing up for these. And as I said, over 400, over 500. Some of their seminars have over 3,000 registrants which is really exciting about how many people across the globe you can push this information out to. They're really organized and they're easy to work with. So if anyone who listens to this podcast has any ideas about programs, please do email me. Uh, the next one I'm thinking about is on the litigation that's going on across the country to try to get the economic impact payment for families where at least one of the spouses has an I-10 versus a Social Security number. So I'm thinking about maybe doing one on that. And uh, the most recent House bill to remedy that um, issue, but we've got some really brilliant constitutional law lawyers and someone who maybe you know, Left Book, the brilliant Left Book, um, is co-counsel. So there's so one of the wonderful things is, is, is tax law impacts everyone. And and that is becoming even more so on a, on a daily 
got a great, very unusual experience. So they're lucky to be in your classroom and especially lucky to have experienced this through a tax lens. Well, definitely. Yeah. And I'm, I, I do stay in touch with Les for sure. And all that you spoke about is, is necessary and it's a great service that your group is doing. Next, I'm going to turn to an, an interesting role that, that you have that you have also been appointed to serve as Nevada Tax Commissioner. And so I was wondering, what, what are some of the interesting things that you have learned in being in this role that is a blend of tax and politics that what, what is maybe something that, that is, has opened your eyes as, as you've been in this position? Well, thank you for asking. And so I am one of eight Nevada tax commissioners. And you're right, it's an appointment by the governor. So I was appointed in 2016 by the then governor, Governor Sandoval, who is and was at that time the governor. He has since turned out, and he is a Republican governor, and he appointed me uh, to serve. And what's interesting is the demographics of the eight Nevada tax commissioners in the uh, Nevada statute are, have to fill different demographics. So they have to include Northern Nevada as well as Southern Nevada. They also have to uh, cover different areas of industry. So for example, farming, we actually have farming in Nevada and they have to cover uh, real estate, obviously, Taxation of real estate is a big issue. They have to cover um, mining, because we do have a lot of mining in Nevada. And then also, just not any of those areas, but just someone who has tax experience, which I certainly do. So I was appointed in 2016, and I, I think one of the big things I learned was this is this actually kind of hurts my heart is that we get to rule or we we rule on offers in compromise and so while Nevada doesn't have an income tax we have a significant sales tax we also have a uh, gross receipts tax on businesses that are have to have gross receipts above four million, so it's larger businesses. But our predominant, and we have a, a modified business tax, which is on payroll. But truly, the most significant tax is sales tax. And so we have we have been ruling since I started in 2016, ruling on businesses that really suffered during the Great Recession. And Nevada was hit quite hard during the Great Recession because, again, we're so 
slides from the Great Recession. So you can see what a long tail that has in, in the tax world. And I'm sure you see that in your own LITC, that downturns, while, while the economy might start getting better, it takes a long time for this to clear out to resolution. And so I just find it to be sad that we now expect, and it would be a normal thing to expect to see this now have another wave of new offers and compromises. Yes, I, I can definitely agree there that it's, it's unfortunate the, the ramifications that, that we have for, from downturns in economy, just taxes, but so many other things that, that people can be hurt by. So I, you know, I, I certainly support what, what efforts you, you can make there. You can really see it, and I know people on the front lines of tax justice know this, and we work hard to tell the stories of taxpayers, but it really is a snowball effect. Taxpayers, you know, the business just goes on a downturn, and the taxpayers are trying to keep the business open, try to keep the lights on, try to pay the rent, try to keep their employees on the payroll, and pretty soon the financial devastation takes down their business, then it often takes down their home, their residence, so they lose their home, they lose their business, Sometimes they lose their marriage, they lose their kids, and they often lose their health, too. And it, we just see this snowball effect, and it is so devastating uh, to look at it after, in hindsight, and taxpayers are, are sorry that they use the state revenue for other purposes, but they, they just felt like they were going down a dark hole into a, a, a just a, something that just pulled them down, and they didn't know what else to do. And uh, thank goodness we have offers and compromise to try to give people a fresh start, because as you know, bankruptcy often doesn't give relief for tax matters. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, 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 I certainly agree with, with everything you say, and I, I've been nodding as, as you speak. So I'm, I'm going to try and enlighten this subject in, in the sense that <laughs> I've, I, I see that, that you have written for numerous publications. You've written several articles. You've been in the role with the tax commission, you've done work with the ABA and your teaching. How do you find time to to juggle everything and, and do so much that you do? Well, I, I think I, I know you'll agree with this and most of the folks who are listening to this, and I, I hope some students, tax law students, maybe yours, maybe mine, when you love what you do, it's like cutting butter. It, it, I, I, when I become
that I may be trying to do it, and it, it's something that I really enjoy. I love the puzzle of tax. So I don't, uh, it's not just about the humanity. I think one of the things, and again, COVID-19 with the new legislation that was coming out so fast and furiously, I really found myself loving analyzing this new text and looking at the literal language to try to interpret it and then trying to see, find the FAQs. I love, I love the game of tax. Um, like Monopoly. As a kid, I loved to play Monopoly. I loved the puzzle aspect of it. So I, I and the intellectual curiosity and the, the challenge of really trying to read through it and, and solve this puzzle. So I, I find that very fascinating. And it doesn't get boring. And I, I think people might be surprised to hear that I actually get bored of things pretty quickly. But tax is one of the few things that has kept my attention. I've also been married for over 35 years, so my husband has kept my attention. But tax really engages me in a way intellectually and cerebrally, but also the humanity of it. I love sharing the relief to see taxpayers who will get this relief and who it will change their lives for the better. Offers and compromise and tax procedure where you can find some remedy that fixes a, I like to, as lawyers, we like to fix problems, right? And tax can often help if you understand procedure and the, the substantive area, you can often provide relief and and for families who are so hard pressed, I find that to be very rewarding in a way that I haven't found a lot of other things in law as rewarding. And I did practice tax law in an international law firm as well as a CPA firm, and I found that very intellectually challenging and rewarding, but it has not matched working with low-income taxpayers and writing about it and pushing this information out and trying to make it better or working with students. I, I find that very rewarding. Um, and so I feel like I'm very fortunate because, and writing, I love writing, especially when it's interesting because writing can be a challenge when you can't find a hook. You know, I love finding a hook that, that makes the writing seamless. And but sometimes it's hard to find that. And I can tell you when I wrote I rewrote the words to the song in Rent, 5,639 minutes, to celebrate uh, former national taxpayer advocate Nina Olson. And when I got that idea in my head, William, I'm not kidding, I wrote it. My husband, we were driving something. 
somewhere, and I wrote it on my laptop in the car because it was just pouring out of me, and I couldn't stop. So when I find something that's a hook, it just it, it, it's just like a tsunami coming out of me, and so that's that's joy. Well, I, I definitely agree with you, and. This, this has been a pleasure. This has been a fun conversation. So thank you for being generous with your time, Francine. I, it's been wonderful to have you on the podcast. I've been trying for a while to get you. And the podcast is partly uh, named in honor of you. So, so thank you for joining me today. Thank you for doing this, William. You're changing lives and pushing this information in the out the best way possible. So I'm very proud to be a part of it. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. We have a Patreon page if you'd like to support this podcast. Providing monetary support for this podcast helps with expenses like equipment or travel to tax conferences. Supporting this podcast through Patreon comes with rewards, so check out our Patreon page. Please rate or review this podcast because positive reviews help get more people to know this podcast exists. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS, the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, or the employers of the people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique, so do not take the statements on this program as tax or legal advice. Consult with your own tax professional to provide you with specific advice on your situation. Tune in next time on Tax Justice Warriors for another interesting tax discussion.